Welcome to the Logos Endeavor, treading the path to virtue. I am Bronson, your host, and I discuss a wide variety of subjects ranging from diet and health, to physical and mental fitness, to philosophy and theology. Today's episode is titled, Incremental Progress. I started my year off strong despite not having a specific goal in mind or any kind of program planned out. I felt it was important to be doing something, otherwise I could foresee myself planning endlessly and never beginning at all. My tendency to overthink things is demonstrated by the pitfalls of much of the novel writing I engaged in in my youth. I would try to create a detailed foundation filled with vivid descriptions of characters and a storied history of the world in which the events took place. This usually resulted in running out of steam before ever writing the first line of the book. To compensate for this, I would begin furiously writing my next story at chapter 1, line 1. Ultimately, those works would end prematurely because I had no foundation to draw from. I am determined to ensure that this endeavor will succeed where my writing failed. I was inspired by a quote I heard while listening to a podcast. Our joy is not in the achievement of the goal, but in the pursuit of it. I realized that I should devote time to setting some goals in each of the four areas of deficiencies that I pointed out in the first episode. Hopefully this will sustain me when I begin to run out of motivation. And if anything were to make me lose that motivation, waking up after my first few workouts with every muscle in my body feeling like jelly might have done it. When I felt too sore to work out, I decided to do yoga because, in my mind, stretching is easier than pumping iron or calisthenics. But it turned out to be harder than I anticipated. Had a camera caught on film my antics as I tried to assume these unnatural poses, I might well be the subject of an embarrassing viral video on YouTube. But in all these challenges, a saying from Tony Robbins pushed me forward. Change happens when the pain of inaction is greater than the pain of change. I began and completed precious remedies against Satan's devices. In the book, Thomas Brooks points out how Satan attempts to keep us from God by lethargy, hopelessness, overconfidence, and a myriad of other wiles. He then lays out many considerations to keep us balanced and grounded in the truth. What was most remarkable was how familiar almost each of Satan's devices were to me, almost as if it were a catalog of episodes from a TV show I had watched a dozen times. In Device 6, Thomas Brooks writes, By persuading the soul that the work of repentance is an easy work, and that therefore the soul need not make such a matter of sin. Why, suppose you do sin, saith Satan. It is no such difficult thing to return and confess and be sorrowful and beg pardon and cry, Lord, have mercy upon me. And if you do but this, God will cut the score and pardon your sins and save your souls. By this device, Satan draws many a soul to sin and makes many millions of souls servants or rather slaves to sin. He then lists six remedies, which I will summarize before reading the last one. The first remedy is seriously to consider that repentance is a mighty work a difficult work, a work that is above our power. The second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider the nature of true repentance. The third remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that repentance is a continued act. The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that if the work of repentance were such an easy work as Satan would make it out to be, then certainly so many would not lie roaring and crying out of wrath and eternal ruin under the horrors and terrors of conscience for not repenting. Yea, doubtless, so many millions would not go to hell for not repenting if it were such an easy thing to repent. 
the fifth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that to repent of sin is as great a work of grace as to not sin. Remedy number six was the one that struck the most close to home for me. Thomas Brooks writes, The sixth remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that he that now tempts thee to sin upon this account, that repentance is easy, will, ere long, to work thee to despair and to forever break the neck of thy soul, present repentance as the difficultest and hardest work in the world. And to this purpose he will set thy sins in order before thee, and make them to say, We are thine, and we must follow thee. Now Satan will help to work the soul to look up and see God angry, and to look inward and see conscience accusing and condemning, to look downwards and see hell's mouth open to receive the impenitent soul, and all this to render the work of repentance impossible to the soul. What, saith Satan, dost thou think that it is an easy thing which the whole power of grace cannot conquer while we are in this world? Is it easy, saith Satan, to turn from some outward act of sin to which thou hast been addicted? Dost thou not remember that thou hast often complained against such and such particular sins, and resolved to leave them? And yet, to this hour, thou hast not, thou canst not. What will it then be to turn from every sin, yea, to mortify and cut off those sins, those darling lusts that are as joints and members, that be as right hands and right eyes? Hast thou not loved thy sins above thy Saviour? Hast thou not preferred earth before heaven? Hast thou not all along neglected the means of grace, and despised the offers of grace, and vexed the spirit of grace? There would be no end if I should set before thee the infinite evils that thou hast committed, and the innumerable good services that thou hast omitted, and the frequent checks of thine own conscience that thou hast contemned. And therefore thou mayest well conclude that thou canst never repent, that thou shalt never repent. Now, saith Satan, do but a little consider thy numberless sins, and the greatness of thy sins, the foulness of thy sins, the heinousness of thy sins, the circumstances of thy sins, and thou shalt easily see that those sins that thou thoughtest to be but motes are indeed mountains. And is it not now in vain to repent of them? Surely, saith Satan, if thou shouldst seek repentance and grace with tears as Esau, thou shalt not find it. Thy glass is out, thy sun is set, the door of mercy is shut, the golden scepter is taken in, and now thou that hast despised mercy shalt forever be destroyed by justice. For such a wretch as thou to attempt repentance is to attempt a thing impossible. It is impossible that thou, that in all thy life could never conquer one sin, shouldst master such a numberless number of sins which are so near, so dear, so necessary, and so profitable to thee, that have so long bedded and boarded with thee, that have been of old acquaintance and companions with thee. Hast thou not often purposed, promised, vowed, and resolved to enter upon the practice of repentance, but to this day couldst never attain it? Surely it is in vain to strive against the stream, where it is so impossible to overcome. Thou art lost and cast forever. To hell thou must, to hell thou shalt. Ah, souls, he that now tempts you to sin by suggesting to you the easiness of repentance will at last work you to despair and present repentance as the hardest work in all the world and a work as far above man as heaven is above hell, as light is above darkness. Oh, that you were wise! to break off your sins by timely repentance. Wise words from Thomas Brooks. Completing this book felt like finishing an instructional book on martial arts. The content is informative, enlightening, and extensive, but if thrust into the octagon after simply reading the book, I would feel wholly unequipped to put into practice the techniques described therein. 
With that being said, Precious Remedies was very impactful, and a book I intend to read again. I also finished reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Since the book is not so much instructional material as it is a collection of abstract thoughts, I've saved many quotes to reference as relevant situations arise. One particular quote was beneficial to me when faced with what some would have labeled as an injustice at work. Someone had thoughtlessly altered the schedule in their favor, the result of which was a thin crew and longer hours for myself. When one of my superiors learned of the situation, they suggested that, in my shoes, they would have been very angry and most likely exacted retribution. However, the words of Marcus Aurelius were fresh in my mind. Reject your sense of injury, and the injury itself disappears. To live happily is the inward power of the soul. Unless I allow it, no one has power over me to dictate how I feel. This is not to suggest that there are not situations that require emotional responses like anger or sadness, only that I am refusing to be manipulated by my circumstances or by others. I am reminded of a story in Modules for Manhood by Kenneth Royce. A 92-year-old, petite, well-poised, and proud lady who is fully dressed each morning by 8 o'clock with her hair fashionably coiffed and makeup perfectly applied, even though she is legally blind, moved to a nursing home today. Her husband of 70 years passed away recently, making the move necessary. After many hours of waiting patiently in the lobby of the nursing home, she smiled sweetly when told her room was ready. As she maneuvered her walker to the elevator, I provided a visual description of her tiny room, including the eyelet sheets that had been hung on her window. I love it, she stated with the enthusiasm of an eight-year-old just having been presented a new puppy. Mrs. Jones, you haven't seen the room. Just wait. That doesn't have anything to do with it, she replied. Happiness is something you decide on ahead of time. Whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged. It's how I arrange my mind. I already decided to love it. It's a decision I make every morning when I wake up. I have a choice. I can spend the day in bed recounting the difficulty I have with the parts of my body that no longer work, or get out of bed and be thankful for the ones that do. This is the sort of mindset that I purpose to develop in my own life. I purchased a Bluetooth scale which arrived in the mail on the 23rd of January. I weighed in for the first time at 181.6 pounds with a body mass index, or BMI, of 25.4 and a body fat percentage of 21.7. Having commenced the ketogenic diet at the start of the year, I'm not entirely sure what my starting weight was. Since then, I've continued to lose weight, and I've settled around 173 pounds with a BMI of 24.1 and a body fat percentage of 19.1. I don't have a target weight in mind, and this harkens back to the need for me to set SMART goals for myself. SMART goals are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. My general desire to convert my current shape from a pear to something closer resembling a carved statue is amorphous and intangible. It would be better to set a goal for body fat percentage, waist size, or bicep diameter I aim to attain by July of 2019, for example. This will be something that I will be laying out in the coming weeks. I am convinced that setting goals is a guard against aimlessly wandering through life. Goals propel us through challenges, and are a means of holding ourselves accountable for failure. What are some goals that you have set for yourself? What means have you utilized to move towards the accomplishment of them? I covet your insights and testimonies. If you've been entertained or inspired by this content, let me know at thelogoscast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the Logos Endeavor, 
please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. And until next time, I am Bronson, your host and fellow traveler.